0: This week, a top official at the Federal Reserve announced he was retiring early. He's the third Fed official to step down in the last six months. All of them resigned amid controversy related to personal stock trading.
1: I think it was a shock to people who follow the Fed that something like this happened because you didn't expect it from, you know, this place that was relatively apolitical and frankly, somewhat boring, right? You just
0: called the Fed boring?
1: Not boring to me, of course. I find the Fed fascinating.
0: The controversy is that in 2020, these officials were making stock trades, some worth millions of dollars. And at the same time, they were also making major decisions at the Fed that swayed financial markets.
1: It's one of the more serious reputational crises that the Fed has experienced in a long, long time. It gives critics of the institution something they can point to and say, see, these people are not acting in our best interest. They're acting in their own interest.
0: Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbach. It's Friday, January 14th. Coming up on the show, the trading scandal rocking the Federal Reserve. Officials at the Federal Reserve have huge influence over the U.S. economy. So the Fed has rules to ensure their financial dealings are beyond reproach. For instance, Fed officials can't trade stocks before policy announcements, and they're restricted from owning stocks in banks. There's also broader guidelines that officials should follow.
1: There's a two-page code of conduct that the Fed adopted. They first adopted it in 1970, For example, it says that officials should carefully avoid engaging in any financial transactions, the timing of which could create the appearance of acting on inside information concerning Federal Reserve deliberations and actions. So the statement basically says, be careful, right? Don't do anything that would reflect poorly on the institution. So, you know, it's about the spirit and not just the letter
0: Fed officials are allowed to put their money in stocks, bonds, and other investments, and many of them do. But top officials have to publicly disclose their financial transactions. And normally, these disclosures don't get very much attention. But last year was different. That's because those disclosures covered financial transactions that Fed officials had made in 2020.
1: Which was the year when the Fed really pulled out all the stops to prevent a complete financial catastrophe. They backstopped the corporate bond market, which they had never done before. I think it may be the most unprecedented effect of monetary policy that I've ever seen. They purchased a massive number of Treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities.
0: In a year when the Fed was making major market interventions, These disclosures showed that Fed officials were also buying and selling stocks and bonds for themselves. On September 7th, the Wall Street Journal ran a story about trades made by the president of the Dallas Fed, Robert Kaplan.
1: The president of the Dallas Fed, Robert Kaplan, was found to have been trading perhaps extensively. We still don't know just how much, but Kaplan disclosed transactions of between one and five million dollars for stocks like Johnson and Johnson, Verizon, Apple, Marathon, you know, there were energy oil stocks here. Some people thought that was a huge problem because the Dallas Fed is sort of seen as the point bank on the energy sector. And you know, Rob Kaplan used to make a point in his speeches when he would go. he'd say, I talk to CEOs. All the time. With talking to businesses, I probably talk to 30 CEOs a month, one on one. We do business. So there are some people saying, gee, you know, could that mean you had non public information? I will say there's no evidence that he did, but it just didn't look good at
0: all. Was it unusual for Kaplan to make these kinds of trades?
1: You know, his pattern, his behavior in 2020 was no different than in the prior years. So he had a long career at Goldman Sachs. He joined the Dallas Fed as their president and CEO in 2015. And when he goes in there, they tell him, all right, you own Goldman. You can't do that. You're now at the Fed. He sells it. But all these other stocks that he was trading in, they didn't tell him he couldn't do it. So he apparently continued to do it. And nobody said anything. Nobody in the press looked at his disclosures and said, this looks weird. The context can change, right? 2020 became a very active year for the Fed, and all of a sudden – what people might not have paid much attention to in 2017 or 2018, all of a sudden, you say, whoa, why Why was this even allowed to happen?
0: But Kaplan wasn't the only Fed president whose disclosures attracted attention. So did those of Eric Rosengren, the man in charge of the Fed in Boston.
1: So Eric Rosengren is someone who spent his pretty much his whole career at the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston, rising through the ranks. So... The economy and the pandemic are very much intertwined right now. The path of the economy will depend significantly on the course of the virus. He became the president of the Boston Fed in 2007, which meant he was one of the longest-tenured Reserve Bank presidents. And uh, he was set to hit his mandatory retirement in June of this year.
0: 2022. 2022. And what came out in his stock trading disclosures.
1: His disclosures showed that he had been making small but many transactions in mortgage investment companies. And the value of those securities that they invest in can fluctuate quite uh, intensely if the
0: Fed is going to come in and buy them. Over the course of 2020, the Fed did come in and buy them. It actively intervened in the mortgage market. And during the same period, Rosengren was trading in mortgage investment companies. Rosengren and Kaplan both faced accusations that they used their positions at the Fed and the access it gave them to potentially enrich themselves. Both men said they would sell off all individual stocks they owned and put their money into broad-based funds. They said they didn't want to create any appearance of conflict between their responsibilities setting economic policy and their personal trading activities. They both also said their actions were within the ethics rules at their respective banks. At a press conference in September, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell, addressed the controversy. I think no one is happy. It's something we take very, very seriously. This is an important moment for the Fed. And uh, Did any of these uh, trades break the Fed's ethics rules?
1: There's an investigation. From what we know right now, it doesn't appear that they have, but we also don't know everything about, you know, when the trades were executed. Um, so I, I don't want to say that, you know, we, we, we have all the answers.
0: If they didn't, why were they seen as problematic?
1: They were seen as problematic because— They created the appearance of a potential conflict. And appearances matter. Even if there was no trading on inside information, the fact that someone who worked at the central bank was able to make large trades in individual securities was just a bad look.
0: At the end of September, Rosengren and Kaplan announced they were retiring early. Rosengren cited health concerns. Kaplan said the attention around his trading activity risked becoming a distraction. But stepping down wasn't enough to make the attention on the Fed go away. Congress was upset, and several lawmakers lashed out at Powell when he testified in the Senate the day after the resignations.
1: This is a blow to the image of the central bank serving as an impartial and independent agency charged with maintaining stability.
0: Over and over, you have acted to make our banking system less safe, and that makes you a dangerous man to head up the Fed.
1: Your job, the Fed's job, is to serve the public, not their stock portfolios.
0: But before the Fed could put this trading scandal behind it, another Fed official's transactions would raise even more questions. That's... After the break.
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit. To get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Walmart. Walmart is committed to helping associates live better. As one of the first companies to remove college degree requirements from the majority of their roles, Walmart is creating opportunities for associates to build careers based on their real-life experiences. In fact, the company is investing over $1 billion in career-driven training and development programs. Learn why it pays to work at Walmart at walmart.com slash skillsfirst.
0: After Rosengren and Kaplan resigned, reporters and lawmakers started taking a closer look at what else Fed officials had revealed in their disclosure forms. So after the
1: whole brouhaha over Kaplan and Rosengren, people began to start to look at other activities, things that I think might not have garnered nearly as much attention. Now people are going through them with a fine-toothed comb.
0: And one top official got noticed, Richard Clarida a well-known economist who has served as the vice chair at the Fed since 2018. And what does it mean to be the vice chair of the Federal Reserve?
1: That's a good question. You're sort of like the vice president of the U.S. You're there as a top advisor. Being Fed chair can be a lonely job. And so the vice chair is there usually to provide advice on monetary policy. And, you know, Rich Clarida certainly did that.
0: Clarida's disclosures showed activity on two days in 2020. One of those days was in August and wasn't particularly noteworthy.
1: But the other transactions occurred on February 27th, 2020, which is an important date because this is the week in which markets really begin to take seriously the idea that there's going to be a disruptive pandemic and the stock markets begin to slide. And on February 28th, on a Friday afternoon, Powell puts out a statement saying, you know, the Fed's prepared to act. I can read you the full statement here, which says, the fundamentals of the U.S. economy remain strong. However, the coronavirus poses evolving risk to the outlook. Uh, He basically says, our eyes are open, we see what's happening, and we'll cut interest rates if we have to. So people begin to say, well, gee, why was Rich Clarida moving money around on February 27th? He sold a couple of stock funds and he bought a bond fund. People begin to wonder, well, you know, did you know anything, did he know anything about this statement that was coming the next day when he made these trades? Senator Elizabeth Warren puts out a statement saying that there's a culture of corruption at the Fed. These three officials now, she's raising a lot of questions. She wants the SEC to investigate.
0: Attention died down after Clarida explained he was rebalancing his portfolio and the trades were planned in advance. In a speech last fall, while he didn't specifically address his transactions, Clarida defended his track record as a Fed official.
1: And I've always acquitted myself honorably and with integrity and respect to the obligations of public service.
0: Then, in December, Clarida updated his disclosure. And the update included details about a third set of transactions that he hadn't disclosed before. This trade took place on February 24th of 2020, three days prior to the February 27th trade that had already attracted scrutiny. It turns out that Clarida had sold at least a million dollars of a particular fund on the 24th. And then he repurchased the same fund just three days later.
1: And now people say, well, wait a minute, you would said, you'd given us the impression this was a pre-planned rebalancing of your portfolio, but he actually sold one of the exchange-traded funds on February 24th that he would purchase uh, three days later. And these are large amounts. This particular transaction was for at least a million dollars. And so now it's just raising all, all sorts of questions.
0: So why does this look bad for Clarida?
1: Because he doesn't actually make transactions very often. And then, you know, here are two transactions right before some kind of policy announcement.
0: Clarida's office has said he made inadvertent errors. But within days, Clarida made an announcement. The Federal Reserve Board's vice chair, Richard Clarida, is resigning Friday, two weeks before his term ends. He has been facing scrutiny
1: over his financial transactions during the onset of the COVID pandemic. An earlier than anticipated exit by the Fed's second in command.
0: Today was Clarida's last day at the Fed. In response to the controversy, last fall, the Fed announced an overhaul of its ethics rules for top officials. Going forward, Fed officials won't be allowed to own individual company stocks. They have to stick to buying funds that include stock from lots of different companies. And officials can't just trade those funds whenever they want.
1: Sales or purchases of these broad-based funds have to be pre-approved, And they have to be pre-scheduled. You can't do them for 45 days. So you say, I want to sell this mutual fund and it can't happen for 45 days. And what that does is it minimizes the appearance that you could be timing the market because 45 days is a long enough time that it would be very difficult to try to time anything.
0: Do these new rules address the criticism?
1: Short of saying that you can't, you know, invest or own anything other than cash You know, the the good governance sort of ethics experts that I've spoken to say, yes, these rules do the job. They should protect the Fed from having to face these questions going forward.
0: Why is it so important that the Fed maintain its credibility with the public, especially now?
1: This matters to the general public because the credibility of our institutions is under attack right now. People don't have confidence in the media. They don't have confidence in, you know, what public health officials are saying. There's so much uh, rancor and division in Washington that when something like this happens an institution like the Fed, which has generally been seen as being apart from all of that, it hurts their credibility and it makes it harder for them potentially to be effective because the Fed operates through their credibility. The officials at the Fed say something, and markets trade on that as if that is going to be the policy. And so it helps the Fed actually implement its policy by being credible.
0: That's all for today, Friday, January 14th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Additional reporting in this episode by Michael Derby. Your hosts are Ryan Knutson and me, Kate Limebaugh. The show's produced by Annie Baxter, Catherine Brewer, Pia Gadkari, Rachel Humphreys, Brendan Klinkenberg, Matt Kwong, Annie Minoff. Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Enrique Perez de la Rosa, Sarah Platt, Alan Rodriguez Espinosa, Willa Rubin, Kayla Stokes, and Annie Rose Strasser, with help from Marilyn Fletcher. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapak. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Bobby Lord, Katherine Anderson, Emma Munger, Peter Leonard, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.